0: Jelly
1: Marketing Podcast. Hi, and thank you for joining us for episode 19 of the Jelly Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Rod Jans. On the Jelly Marketing Podcast, we ask global industry leaders from world-class brands to share their best practices, stories, innovations, and more to help you move your agency, business, or organization ahead. Our guest for today is Todd Maffin. Todd is the president of Engage Q. He's also a broadcaster, an author, and a well-known speaker. Stay tuned to the end of the interview where we find out what Todd likes to spread on his toast. Hi, Todd. Thanks for joining me on the Jelly Marketing Podcast. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. Todd is the president at EngageQ, and we'll ask him a little bit more about that in a minute. I did go on your website. I saw that you have some pretty cool clients. You've worked with uh, the Grey Cup and the Vancouver Sunrun and, and different developers and that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah. But, yeah, like I say, we'll go into that in just a sec. I know you're in Vancouver today. Have you always been lived in Vancouver?
0: I've always lived in BC. Uh, I spent a couple of tragic years at the start of my broadcasting career working in a small town uh, in the interior as as one does when they're getting their feet wet in radio. Um, but other than that, I've always been either Vancouver or Sunshine Coast pretty close to this area.
1: Yeah, neat. So you have a radio background. I did notice that you are doing some work with uh, Roundhouse Radio. What do you do for them?
0: Um I just I'm basically just a what they call a backfill host, so in the event that the host is sick that day or they're on holidays, I just sort of jump in and uh, and do their show for them. So I haven't done very much. I've probably done maybe a dozen shows or something like that, but uh it's just sort of fun. I mean, radio is uh there's no money in radio. It's it's a bit of a labor of love. I've always sort of like to audio storytelling and um, long form interviews, so to be able to to do it, picking up off my time about ten years at CBC Radio doing that, um it's just kind of nice to still have a hand in that stuff.
1: Cool, yeah. So you just kind of keeping your feet wet in the in the radio end. Of yeah, things. yeah, neat, exactly. So how did you first become interested in marketing?
0: Well, I guess by accident, really. I mean, I, uh, I, I I'm a nerd uh, first and foremost, and so. Uh, computer things have always fascinated me. Back in the very early days of the web, uh, I was hired by a local PR firm, and we're talking like '96 or so, 90, maybe even '95, um, because web pages were just starting to get popular. I mean, they, you know, Mosaic and Netscape—I think was, was Netscape was only there for about a year at that point. It was very early days, but they wanted to grow a division that would that would build web pages for companies because back then hardly anyone had them. So. Um, we built that practice up uh, quite a bit, and obviously that sector just started to balloon and, um, and went from there. I joined a, what was then a two-person shop called Emerge Online, and um, uh, it was myself and a programmer. And it ended up being about 35, 40 people or so by the time I, I moved on. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I've, I'm more interested in the data side of things. Um, it just so happens that marketing um, has some really cool things you can do, and it, it's certainly neat to be able to see our clients, you know, spend a tenth of what they used to spend in different mediums and get even better results because they're using digital, because the data behind digital is so smart in terms of retargeting and optimizing and tracking conversions and all that kind of jazz. So it's sort of a combination of of uh, of the nerd in me and uh, and and the marketing side.
1: Did you do anything else before getting involved in marketing? Or have you always been involved in the marketing uh, side of things?
0: I've always certainly been interested. I've been doing it for for most of my adult career. Um, I did take uh, about 10 years or so to work at CBC. That actually came from sort of a marketing side of things. Uh, I was giving a lot of speeches around uh, digital technology and new technology and new forms of not just marketing, but storytelling and marketing and so on. And uh, the CBC hired me to, to fly to their head office and give a speech to um, a number of their senior programmers about where I saw the future of radio going in terms of, in terms of narrative structure, in terms of being able to have live interactive audience participation and so on. And for me, that was just a speech. I mean, I was certainly excited to go there, uh, having been a, a big CBC fan. And uh, about a week after I got back to Vancouver, they called and they said, is there any chance you'd want to do a pilot for us for a radio show about uh, interactive radio and technology? And I said, sure. And they said, oh, that's good because we've already signed you a producer and your badge is ready. You can pick it up at the front. <laughs> so, um, so they they named it, um, oddly, they named it ToddRadio.com. And uh, it ran for two seasons, and, uh, and it was great fun. It was great fun. And then I stayed on doing CBC. I did a documentary story, uh, series and was a national producer for them for a number of years and uh, a backfill host on shows like Richardson's Roundup and Sounds Like Canada, things like that. So um, my career at the CBC kind of went backwards. I started as a national host of my own show and then started going started doing lesser, lesser, uh, uh, visible roles. And, uh, and in the end I was the national technology columnist for about uh, five or six years or so, and then just got busy doing this stuff with clients. Mm-hmm.
1: So, so tell us about the early days of engage Q, like where did the idea for your starting your own company come from? What, what were, what were the beginning days like?
0: Well, I wish I could tell you that we had an origin story that was, you know, the kind of thing where it's like I completely planned it and it was all mapped out and it was strategic and, um, but it wasn't like that at all. Uh, I have been for more than 20 years now giving speeches professionally at conferences and so on, giving keynotes and, and things like that. And for the longest time, I was talking about digital marketing and, I'm talking about some of the research and, you know, I had a pretty good thing going in that I was able to translate a lot of the technology, the sort of nerd related content into something that, that audiences could understand and, and pick up. And at a number of these events, I would go and speak and they would say, this is all very interesting. You know, this digital marketing is amazing. Is Can you just do it for us? And I was so busy on the road. I was doing 40 or 50 speeches a year. I was just saying, you know, I just, I just, I really can't. I'm just too busy. So I was doing a lot of talking about digital marketing, but not doing a lot of doing digital marketing. And, um, and that seemed to be a bit of a disservice to the, to the groups that I was speaking with. So, uh, there were a couple in particular, a, uh, a large chain of malls across the country and, uh, and another group, OK tire, both of whom I spoke to. And both of them said, "We'd, we'd like you to do this for us. And I thought, all right, what the heck? And so originally, it just started with me helping them with kind of coming up with strategies and, and content calendars, and and then when they said this is this is great, we just don't have the people to post. Can you post? So I brought on someone part time, and that person became full time, and and then we are sort of where we are today. So kind of a bit of an accident. It's you know, I mean, I, I certainly I've never wanted to to own a 150,000 person agency. Uh, I I, I do my best work in in groups that are, you know, between four and 20 people or so, where we're all laser focused on understanding the best technologies that can be used for marketing in terms of optimizing stuff, because that's really where the where the meat of digital is, is, is you have access to real-time data on how your campaigns are doing. So, um, you just can't get that with any other medium and and Facebook especially. So, um, so that intersection has always been interesting to me is that, is that combination of the, of the data, um, with just really good client service. And, and we've been pretty lucky. We've, you know, been able to pick and choose the clients that we, that we, uh, want to work with. And yeah, it's been so far so good.
1: What do you think your company's sweet spot is? I see, Uh, just pulling some bullet points off of your website, I see strategic plans, customer engagement programs, social advertising and team training and more. (laughs) So (laughs) where where do you, where do you do the bulk of your work?
0: Yeah. And and now that you say that, I think gosh, we should probably change the website. It's the, it's the case of the shoemaker's children more than anything. (laughs) Um, You know, where, where our strengths absolutely lie are in two areas. Uh, The first is in social engagement and we, there is no team, uh, better in north america in terms of the quality and tone uh, and speed of social engagement i mean if you were to to it at, at nine thirty at night tweet the gray cup you know you with something bad you know and say and say it's, it's, i don't know i hate football or something someone on my team will get back to you with you know a, a really good response so that's the first area that we're really strong is we do a brand briefing at the beginning of all of our client contracts and a lot of that stuff works around tone and and voice. You know, how do we speak in the right brand and so on and and that drives everything behind it. You know, when you have a good tone and voice and you respond quickly and you can pick things up with, with the right tools, um, that drives engagement in the channel. Engagement especially on certain platforms facebook and instagram being most notable um the more engagement you have the stronger organic reach you have meaning it's cheaper to reach people because you don't have to advertise so that's one area that engagement we've always that's part of the reason why i named the company engage q because we really wanted to understand the 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 q or the quotient behind engagement and i think we've nailed that pretty well the second area where we're quite strong is that we are a data-driven organization first. Um, You know, we certainly believe in strong creative. uh, We believe in moving quickly. But we don't believe in either of those two at the expense of, of good, solid ROI. So some of it's not very sexy. You know, we spend a lot of time in, in spreadsheets and, and looking at backend dashboards of, of performance and tweaking things. Uh, we run an ad campaign for a client. We won't just run two or three ads. We'll run 96 different variations of each single ad and, and run that for a few days until we get a good data set, understand which variations are performing best and then turn off the ones that are underperforming and shift the budget to the ones that are overperforming. It's all very basic, but not a lot of agencies, I think, have the time to be able to, to get into the, uh, into the nuts and bolts of data, so um, that's I think where our our two strengths are.
1: Both of those things are so important, aren't they? Aren't they? Is, is engaging the customer and then getting a return on investment? Because do you find a lot of a lot of companies are reluctant to get into social media because they're they're unsure about the return on investment.
0: They are. They are very much so. And I mean, it, this is this is part of the reason why digital is great for us, because we have past uh, campaigns that we can sort of look to uh, and be able to to estimate stuff. I mean, you can even you can even do an estimate in terms of how many people you're going to reach, you punch in a budget and who your audience is. And most of these platforms will give you a pretty solid number. So and in that way, you can sort of keep tweaking things until you get the ROI that you're interested in. We've gotten ROIs for clients past 27 times. You know, you, they gave us $1,400. I think one client in particular gave us $1,400 for ad spend and we turned that into $32,000 of revenue. So it's a 27 times ROI. And the only way you know what those numbers are is by understanding the conversion tracking and being able to go in and tweak and have multiple variation sets. And that's something that that is not is not unique to us, to be honest. Uh, you know, I mean, Darian and and the folks at Jelly who are behind this podcast do a phenomenal job of this as well. You know, there are agencies out there that understand the importance of data, and uh, and that's certainly been an area that we've found to be to be really helpful. Because part, here's the other thing: is that it, it's never difficult to get clients for us because we're able to say, well, here are the stats, here are the numbers. Uh, you know, instead of just, you know, if I worked for a newspaper or something, I could say, well, here's what the ad looked like. But, you know, I, I don't know. I can't really tell you whether they got any clients from this ad that they ran. I can tell you how much revenue you got from each individual ad. I can tell you exactly to the penny if the conversion tracking is set up right. And on the engagement side, all of our work is public. Uh, you know, if you want to go to to the Kildonan Place Facebook page and leave a review that's really negative, someone on my team will see it within 30 seconds and and so all of that work our responses out in the uh, out in the channels those are all public so we we're able to say you just try it <laughs> go look go check out oakridge centers uh instagram account see how we respond to things and um and and once they see that in sort of in the public space it's it's you know relatively easy for us to start the next part of the dialogue well let's let's try
1: this this is a bit of an experiment i hope this works todd <laughs> just play along with me here Let's, sure. let's say, um, an example I've brought up several times on the Jelly Marketing podcast is I'm, I'm starting my own craft brew place and I come to engage Q and, uh, I want to have engaging social media and I want to have, you know, I don't, I want to make sure I get a return on my investment. Can you give me a few, a few tips? I don't necessarily want to go through the process or be sold on it, but, what would you have me do as a as a business owner, or to make sure that the, the things that I'm doing to promote my company online are being done uh, correctly? Do you have a few tips for me?
0: Well, I, I would probably first start by pushing back on the goals that you just gave me, because the first goal you said in that list there was high was social engagement. That's not your goal. Your goal is to sell more beer. <laughs> yeah, that's the goal, you know. And 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 this is the problem, unfortunately, with a lot of with a lot of agencies that are out there is that they they get focused on the metrics that are closest to their eyeballs. And the metrics that are closest to our eyeball at the agency level are all the stats, all the dashboards, all the, you know, cost per click and and cost per engagement and cost per action and and the number of impressions and the number of followers and the number of likes you have and, and those are good indicators. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with having growing audience size, growing sentiment, growing engagement. All of that is good. But at the end of the day it has to be in service to selling beer. And if we don't have a way of tracking that, you know, whether or not sales of your product actually increase or whatever the particular business goal may be. In some cases, it's not selling a particular product. You know, we, we've had an organization, a, a federal government organization retain us because they wanted to get a stronger, better quality, uh, uh, more volum- voluminous. I can't say that word. Um, <laughs> voluminous. Uh, voluminous. Thank you very much. <laughs> discussion happening around health, around a specific healthcare topic. So, you know, we had to figure out what, do, what are the metrics that measure that? How do we know that we're succeeding? So, you know, our first step, once we retain the client, we do a 90-minute brand briefing call. Sometimes it goes longer or in-person meeting, depending on where they are. And that's the very first question we ask in all cases. What What's the goal? And I will tell you, Rod, that 95% of the time, they will give us the social goals. They'll <laughs> say, well, the goal... What we want you to do is we want to get more website visits. So what we want you to do. And I'll say, no, stop that. Your actual goal. What do you know? Like, well, we're trying to sell beer, of course. So like, okay, let's start there. Like, let's, let's cut out as many of these, uh, of these indicator KPIs and start talking about how do we actually deliver on real KPIs? That's, that's the most important part because you will be measured whether based on whether or not you have, uh, have met the primary goal of the organization and the primary goal in most cases is sales for a charity it's different increased donations for you know for large organizations where you might be doing an intranet hr project it might be uh re- reduced staff attrition i don't know you know but but there are these business goals and there's social goals and i find that agencies sometimes get too caught up in the social goals
1: just out of curiosity what were the goals for if you can mention if you can say it do you recall what the goal for the gray cup was or the or the vancouver sun run their their goals Absolutely. must have been quite different
0: yeah, yeah, certainly there, and there's obviously some things that I can't talk about because we're under NDA. But right. um it, uh, I don't think it would be breaking NDA to tell you that the goal of the Grey Cup is to sell tickets to the Grey Cup. That's right. that's the number one goal that we have. So if you look on our on our the channels that we're produ- you know putting content up, a lot of the posts are in and around that and generating buzz and activity and answering questions in the field. There are obviously some secondary goals. They have a large music festival they're looking to sell tickets for. There's a great uh, tailgate party that's happening. They're trying to recruit volunteers. But all of those are the business goals that we're trying to patch into. Sunrun, very similar. They're trying to sell registrations. They're trying to sell merchandise. So, um, you know, like, like runners and so on. There are some subsidiary goals, like, like talking about sponsors and things like that. But that, those are the, those are the metrics by which we measure success. Because those are the metrics that our clients will use to measure our success, whether or not we've actually contributed to that. And again, I'm not saying that the other metrics are not important. You know, it's important that your Facebook community continues to grow. It's important that you're getting more comments in Instagram than you were last month. All of those are good, but they're good because they're indicators towards success of your actual goal, which is further along down the line.
1: So just to get back to my beer example where we want to sell yeah. beer, we, we've identified that as a first step. And I'm totally with you on that. That's a, often the first thing that I want to know as well as a, as someone who, uh, who sometimes sells, uh, marketing. Um, what, what would kind of be the next thing that you'd want to know or look for?
0: I don't know. That would depend on the brand briefing. Uh, that's where we would pull all of that stuff out. You know, that we would try to in- identify the supporting assets you have. Do you have partnerships with other organizations with strong social presences? Have you done anything with in- social influencers before? You know, have you had anyone take over your Instagram account for a week that might be an influencer? Um, what have you had in terms of content marketing? So our next step would be to identify what you've done so far, where you found those successes, and then probably do a pretty deep dive into the audience. On the various platforms, we have an, es- an estimate of how hard it'll be to reach them. You know, all of, almost all of these things now are based on competition. It's an auction system. So the more other advertisers that are trying to reach the same group that you're trying to reach, the higher the price uh, goes up. And then we put together what we call a blueprint, which is a-, a pretty comprehensive document. It's about 20 to 25 pages or so that maps everything out. It's here's what we're going to do in influencer marketing. Here are the influencers we're going to do. Here's the schedule. Here's roughly what they're going to post. On the social side, here's how many posts we recommend. Here's the timing of those posts. Here's the 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 voice and tone of our responses in the channel. Here are the top five questions that you already get so that we already know the answers. Right down to emergency contact numbers. In case something happens at 1130 at night, how do we reach you? So that that blueprint has evolved over time to be quite a, a critically important document because it maps everything out. And then we just start and execute on it. You know, it's just then we've got a plan. Uh, we follow it, uh, make adjustments as we go along. We usually do a, a, a phone call meeting every week with the client to sort of review the numbers and uh, just kind of plot along from there.
1: I think that's great. That blueprint sounds fantastic. Like it really s- establishes a foundation, doesn't it, for everything else that you do?
0: You know, and, I'll, and we've, we've often been sort of criticized among other agencies for letting that blueprint be quite freely available. A lot of agencies try to lock that stuff down. And, and this is, you know, this is where, where, where we and Jelly have a lot of harmony. You know, we're both kind of organizations, myself and Darian, both. It's sort of like, you know, like the, the community of agencies should rise to support the community of agencies, you know, and Darian does just an awful lot of work in supporting other, other folks and, and some of the events that Jelly has. And we've done uh, uh, some things here and there as well. And our blueprint document is part of that because we, we have said when, when, when organizations hire us sometimes they just hire us just to do the blueprint although that doesn't happen very often but we say listen here's here's the cost of the blueprint because it takes quite a bit of our time to put together but once that document is done you're not tied into us in any way you can do anything you want with that document you can use it as the basis for an rfp you can hand it off to one of our competitors and have them execute the plan you can hire us to do it if you want to." I don't think there's been a single instance where where they've taken it to another agency or they've used it as an RFP just because at that point we've already know the brand so well. So it's just sort of a natural that we that we pick up from there. But but we don't really tie our our, our clients down that way. You know, we're able to say this blueprint is yours. Everything we do is yours. So if you want to if you want to do something else with it, that's OK, too.
1: I love that openness. That's awesome. I love hearing client stories. I love hearing about wins. Do you have a, a recent success story that you could tell us about and maybe just break it down for us a little bit? Like what was, the, what I do you think do. was the key to success? I, uh-
0: I have a great one. I just can't talk about it right now, as, as we're talking here in in early October. Uh, ask ask me in December, and we can talk about it. <laughs> um, That's you know we, we have lots of we have lots of of little wins and big wins. Um, you know there, there have been a lot of campaigns we're really proud of. We did a a, a very comprehensive program for Mountain Equipment Co-op uh, over the summer, where it was a, a, a summer camping campaign, and that was incredibly extensive. It was a retargeting program. It was catalog based. It was just many, many dozens of different products that were all tied into retargeting. So, if they saw one product, then they would begin to see things that were similar. The downside, of course, to those relationships is that these are private organizations under which we're, you know, and they have competitors and so on. So, I can't share with you any specific results of, of those things. But I will say that clients have been happy. We're still in business. So, we must be doing something right.
1: I'm sure I'm glad you brought that one up because I'm sure I saw elements of that. I follow. Mountain Equipment Co-op on Facebook. So, um, hmm. you know, I saw things like videos of that that were submitted from people, you know, different people's camping yeah. trips and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm sure that yeah. that was, was that part of that campaign as well?
0: There was a very, so we, we weren't working on that side of it, but we tied into it. It was a very extensive program. Yeah. Uh, all together. You know, one, one thing that we, in terms of numbers that we can talk about, um, because this client has led us is we worked with a, um, a property development company. Uh, that was building out a, a condo facility and we did a pretty extensive multivariate ad program, uh, an influencer marketing program and, and so on and just got enormous results out of that. We ended up with more than two, almost two and a half million brand impressions. I think it was 2.4 million brand impressions. We generated more than 10,000 visits to their website and we ran about 250 different ads. Now, you may have only seen one or two or maybe three versions of this ad if you were in the target group, um, but what you didn't know is we had hundreds of these variations working away to understand which ones were working best. So, uh, and that building has done very well. So, um, you know, and being able to know exactly, you know, to to the actual uh, person how many people visited the website based on the work that we sent them. And and not just that, but I can tell you, you know, how many came from the influencer program. We had three influencers under contract for that one. I can tell you how many people came from each individual influencer, which is not difficult to do. It's just UTM tracking and Google <laughs> Analytics, but it's surprising how few organizations put those things in place.
1: Awesome. Well, it sounds like you're doing a great job and, and thank you for for sharing that with us. Do you you have anything that sort of comes to mind right now in terms of things to avoid when it comes to digital marketing? Do you see some, like a common mistake that you see people doing?
0: I certainly, I don't know about things that people are doing wrong. I mean, voice and tone are big issues. If you're, if you're not speaking in the right tone in the social channels, that's problematic. I see more of people not taking advantage of some of the really, really good uh, tool sets out there um you know we, we are big we're very bullish on on retargeting a lot of people will put out a very simple facebook campaign or a google adwords campaign or something um which is just basically target everyone in my city <laughs> uh, you know <laughs> um, and that's not a demographic to target you know uh, you, you need to be able to kind of refine it so i wish that more brands would would be smarter in their targeting um, you know, even, gosh, even Twitter has now launched the ability to upload lists. So you can take your customer list of people who've purchased products from you before, uh, and you can turn those into, into ads. People you can target with, with ads on Facebook and now on Twitter and, uh, all of those things. So there's just a, the targeting has gotten a lot better and yet I still see people using very basic targeting.
1: Well, I want to switch gears a little bit. We do a thing. We do a lightning round. Your answers don't have to be quick or anything like that. But these are the same. These are questions that we ask every one of our guests. So we'll just finish up with this real quick. Okay. And, uh, your answer to this first question doesn't have to be jelly, but, uh, because we're the jelly marketing podcast, what do you like to spread on your toast?
0: (laughs) You know, I, I used to really like lemon curd oh wow um but i can't (laughs) find it these days so uh i have toast every night and i it's usually like a like a kind of a slightly bitter marmalade um but sometimes i'll just go crazy and i'll put honey and uh, cinnamon on it because i'm sort of crazy that way you know (laughs) i'm I'm a wild man rod i'm i'm crazy you
1: you are man that's the most original answer we've had so far (laughs) lemon curd
0: (laughs) lemon curd's amazing
1: is it what what is it exactly
0: Oh, it just, it just looks like, it just looks like a, a spread. It's like a sweet lemon spread. You can buy it. It's in the same section as jam. It's like, you know what it is? It's like, it's like pie filling. It's basically a slightly thicker pie filling. That's oh, okay. basically what it is.
1: That sounds more appetizing than, it's the word curd,
0: I think, that is throwing me off. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the second question is, what do you do to handle stress?
0: Hmm. I play a lot of video games and I don't work too hard. Uh, You know, we certainly do a lot of of work for our clients, but there's some days today is one of these days where I've just been on the road, three different cities in six days. And, you know, luckily I've got a great team and and everything is kind of running according to schedule. So it gives me the flexibility to be able to take some time off. I've still been working a little bit, you know, but just not at the, at the same pace as, as previously. And, uh, and yeah, and at night I, um, I play a lot of Rainbow Six Siege.
1: I'm going to ask you this question a little bit different because we differently because we booked this interview through a uh, an app called Mixmax and then you told me about another uh booking <coughs> tool called uh you youcanbook.me.com would <coughs> you mind just telling us a little bit about those i i like as i told you before we started recording i'm always looking for a good or i have been looking for a good booking tool and haven't really found one yet but i really liked Mixmax that you know, when when you sent that to me, I found it to be really easy to use and booked my first appointment with it today. <laughs> so, you could tell us a little mm. bit more about those
0: tools? Yeah, well, MixMax is is uh, plugs into your into Gmail, uh, and it's sort of a set of tools. We uh, I use it more for tracking email recipients. I know when clients have read certain things or whether emails have not been read. Um, it tells us whether they've clicked links in emails. So it's a little bit. It's kind of a bit of a spy program in that way. And it does it the usual way. It puts an embedded, uh, a little one-by-one one invisible pixel there so it knows when they've opened. It's not perfect. Um, but it's got a few other thing, nice things in there as well, like the scheduling that you saw. You Can Book Me is a, a white-label program that will look up your Google Calendar, offer people a list of, of slots that are available. And um, when they book it, you can set it up to remind them by email an hour before. I have mine set up to text them one minute before the call with the phone number to dial into our conference line system. So both of those are great.
1: Because of MixMax, I was able to tell that I sent, I, I, sent out a group email. I thought it, at least I thought it was going to a group and I figured out that I just sent it to myself. <laughs> and ah, I was kind of, nice. I was kind of thinking, why is nobody responding <laughs> to this yet? Cause it went to uh, seven different people and uh, <laughs> it was because I somehow just sent it to me. So. <laughs> wow. Nice. <laughs> yeah. MixMax saved my bacon on that one. Do you have a favorite life or business hack to share, some, some sort of shortcut or loophole that makes your life easier?
0: Yes, I do. So I give a lot of speeches out there, and usually at the end of speeches, people will come up to me and say, can you get back to me about this or that? Uh, and it's usually one of, of three or four different things. And it's usually one of three or four different things. It's, uh, can you please contact us because we want you to speak at our event? It's, can you get back to me because we're interested in hiring Engage Q? Uh, or sometimes it's something more personal. Can you call me? I want to pick your brains about XYZ. So I get their business card and I, I have little positions on the card and I fold a corner of their business card in a certain direction. And when I fold it forward, that means I'm supposed to call them. When I fold it backwards, it means they're going to call me. And then each corner is assigned a different thing. Top left is a speaking lead. Top right is an engaged cue lead. Bottom left is is something else that's sort of personal, and I haven't really found a use for bottom right yet. So that's, you know, it's kind of a great easy, you know, instead of just stopping and writing down and, you know, writing on the card, this person wants a social engagement package. I just fold the right corner toward me, and I know I need to call her about this.
1: Good one. Yeah. It is kind of a hassle sometimes to take, try to find a pen and write it on the card with the, what the person yeah. wants. That's excellent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I know there's a lot of things to choose from. And this is sometimes a hard question, but just for the purposes of this interview, is there a cause <clears throat> or a nonprofit that is near and dear to you?
0: I think addiction and recovery is probably the closest one to me and spinal cord research. My wife uh, works at a spinal cord research facility. So, those two are probably the ones that are closest to our heart anyway.
1: And last but not least, what's the best way for people to find out more about EngageQ or to get in touch with you?
0: Just like everyone else would, just our website, which is EngageQ.com.
1: Good. Well, Todd, thank you so much for your time today. Lots of good stuff, lots of good good tips, and uh, congratulations on all your success at, at EngageQ. Right.
0: Well, thanks. It's always a pleasure to uh, to be uh partnered in some way with jelly. And, um, you know, even though we sometimes compete against each other and sometimes, uh, play with each other, it's always great to connect with you folks.
1: Well, thanks again to Todd Maffin from engage Q for joining us on the 19th episode of the jelly marketing podcast. If you'd like to check out some of the links and show notes from this episode, go to the jelly marketing podcast page at JellyMarketing.com, And you'll find it under the blog tab of the website. Also be sure and check us out on iTunes and leave a comment and a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. You yeah. This is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer. He hears things differently